All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is Strike the Box's first webcast, um, Strike the Box Training. Uh, with us today is Chief Trevor Steedman from uh, Palm Beach Shores Fire Department uh, and Lieutenant Bobby McGee from the Ocean City Fire Department. And my name is Ben Waples uh, from the Salisbury Fire Department in Maryland. Um, so today we were originally going to talk with uh, Lieutenant Ray McCormack um, about the new underwriters laboratory uh, FSRI report that came out about coordinated fire attack with ventilation. Uh, unfortunately, something came up with Ray and he wasn't able to be here with us today. Uh, so we're still going to chat with you guys anyway. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the same kind of stuff, uh, coordination of engine company operations with truck company operations. Um, and we'll, we'll um, go from there. Uh, we are still going to try and get Ray on. Uh, we may have to push that back a day. So just keep an eye out on our website and on our Facebook page. Um, so like I said, just keep an eye out, check us out. Um, but for now, let's, um, let's go down to Palm Beach Shores with Chief Steven and see what he has to say. Um, and he can introduce himself a little bit more and then we'll kick it over to Bobby uh, and he can do the same. So Chief, go ahead. Great. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, this is Trevor Steedman. Like Ben said, I'm Chief of Palm Beach Shores Fire Department. You might wonder how the three of us even got together. Well, we, we all work together in Maryland. So um, you know, we've had a, a longstanding friendship and all. It's nice to be able to also bring ideas from different areas of the country. Uh, one thing I will bring to your attention is the palm trees behind me are real. The ones behind Bobby, not so much. So I just had to throw that editorial comment in there. Um, couple of things just to really briefly talk about. Uh, you know, we, we've all had varying experiences in the fire service. Uh, collectively, we have a, a lot of background, a lot of experience, some good, some bad. Um, we try to look at some of the, the negative experiences and try to see what we can learn out of them and what we can apply going forward. Uh, conversation, I know that myself and Bobby and Ben have had quite a bit, is really based on you know, what we can do as that first in engine company. Uh, even though I'm a truck guy at heart, the engine is the bread and butter of what we do. And most of us, we live in the other 99% of the world, meaning that we don't always have that special services unit right on our tail. We don't have a truck company um, that's going to be there immediately to help coordinate that effort between the suppression and the ventilation. So with that being said, um, we have to see what we're going to do as far as the outside vent, whether that's our pump operator or our chauffeur who throws that first ladder and does OV, such as on the first floor kitchen windows. And Bobby, I'll get you to talk about that a little bit because I know that was part of the UL first uh, second floor bedroom fires. But these are some things uh, that we really need to concentrate on. And I use this terminology fairly frequently is as an engine company, we have to be the best one line fire department we can possibly be. Um, don't misunderstand what I'm saying and you think that we're going to be going at it on our own. But that first line is so critical that we pull the right line to the right place with the right flow and actually have good firefighting tactics depending on the situation at hand. Um, so that's why I encourage my folks on the engine when they get there, they need to pretend like they're the only pre people on that fire ground for a while and get all those uh, objectives taken care of. So with that, uh, Bobby, if you wanna kind of take it from there and discuss a little bit of you know, what we've talked about in the past with the coordination effort. Sure, Trevor, thanks. Um, yeah, so I think you know, we, we have other studies out uh, before this coordinated attack study, and I think a lot of people across the country um, have, have already looked at the, the other information that came from the UL and kind of uh, went through it and thought about it and things like that. So, so some of the things that came up 
it gets very confusing. You know, you have people going around saying, well, you cannot push fire and things like that. And so, unfortunately, sometimes with, you know, 500 page reports, um, people don't read the whole reports or they don't understand it. And they kind of lean on other people to give them information. And unfortunately, sometimes that information is kind of taken in, in different directions. So what I want to do is just talk a little bit about the simplification uh, of a lot of very in-depth scientific uh, experiments, which is hard to do. But, um, you know, one thing is to remember that if, if fire is in a closed space, it doesn't do well. Uh, when you put fire inside of a box, it has a limited amount of oxygen. It has no new air coming to it. So you want to start off thinking about it like that. And then if we open up one opening to that box, uh, it's a very inefficient um, system because the inflow of fresh oxygen has to share that opening with the outflow of the heated gases and the fire and all that stuff. So if you have one vent, say, for instance, if you have one window that's vented, um, it, you're going to see fire showing through the, the large majority of the window and then air rushing in the other part of it. Um, that's just not efficient. It would be like building a car with the intake and the exhaust all hooked together. Um, so <clears throat> we know it's better than if it was in a closed box, but still not very efficient. What we do know from all the studies, especially the ventilation impact studies, is when you open an inlet and an outlet, then things start to really happen. Um, and so that's something to remember is that uh, now you have an inlet for air and you have an outlet, which makes the fire much more efficient. Um, and so uh, we used to, we all learn from our instructors and instructors. So, uh, you know, Trevor and I've been 30 years in the service. So we learned from guys that were doing this in the 60s. And in the 60s, the majority of our houses had class A materials and uh, they burned very efficiently, uh, like your campfire, where if you get it just right, there's very little smoke. Unfortunately, all the uh, synthetics in all of our homes and all of our buildings nowadays uh, burns about uh, two and a half times hotter and 10 times faster. Um, but the biggest deal is they never get enough oxygen. So if you put your sofa in your driveway, let's just say, and lit it on fire, you could never get it like the campfire. It's always going to have really black, nasty, acrid smoke coming off of it because it's more like a uh, hydrocarbon the way they build the the synthetics is a, is a hydrocarbon process there's lots of carbon too much carbon for 21 percent oxygen the only way we can make that better is by adding more oxygen which we can't do on planet earth without taking it from a tank basically so what that means is when we used to open these places all up um, and it was better in the 50s and the 60s because that class a material would burn cleaner it would lift everything off the floor and things like that. We still see an improvement with our synthetics because it's all closed up. When we open it, there's an inflow of really good fresh air um, and it does get better for a period of time. Basically 100 to 200 seconds in a, a single or a two-story house is, is the numbers that the, the testing has shown. So it does get better. So there's the argument, well, it gets better when you open up. It does if you get a line in service. So what, Trevor is talking about and Ben and I are talking about is it has to be coordinated. If you open this place up and you give it an inlet and you give it an outlet and you don't have something to knock that fire down quickly, uh, then it's just going to simply get a tremendous amount worse. Uh, and the other thing to think about is with the synthetics is that smoke, think about it more like fuel moving all around that building. 
So as that thing builds up, uh, you need to worry about that. That is all potential fire everywhere. So if you're driving your crew through and you left it open for a long time and it's had a time to grow, it really hasn't gotten to where it flashes over yet. But a lot of black, nasty smoke is coming out over the top of these uh, firefighters heads as they make their way through. If they can't make it back there in time, obviously we have flashover and flashover. What is it, Trevor? Six feet from the door, I think it is um, for survivability for our firefighter ensemble. So that's what we're talking about. A coordinated ventilation is. We really need to think about um, not intensifying the fire until we can get a line in place. Uh, so essentially what we thought controlling the fire with ventilation uh, in most of these studies, we're finding out that it's actually a lot more controlling the fire by not ventilating in certain instances. Um, and, and massive ventilation can actually be a loss of control for us versus having a control. So those that's kind of the, uh, the shortest in a nutshell kind of way I can put what's going on in the modern fire environment and what we're kind of vetting out of all of this testing that's going on so far. Uh, this new UL study that hopefully we'll get Ray in another day to talk about um, just really gets into the very specifics of it. If they open one window, if they open, if you open two windows, if you try a transitional attack before you go in, those types of things. And that, so we're going to get more and more information over the next year or so to make us make better decisions. But we have to be open as a fire service to not just rely on our old traditions. Uh, we need to stay with our tried and true traditions, but we also have to look at maybe changing to be better. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, the the motto of the fire service is always the 200 years of tradition impeded by or unimpeded by progress. Um, how, what do you guys think as far as, um, you know, this research that we're getting and the new information that we're getting from all of this stuff and what's the best way to go about getting that out to where people are going to be more receptive to it, um, where they're going to, okay, we're not, we're not going straight to the roof, um, and cutting that hole right away. We, we need to make sure that we wait till we get a line in place. Um, you know, the, the transitional attack that, has, has had such a bad rap for so long. Um, but it's stuff that, that the fire service has been doing for years. Um, it's just come back and been renamed. Um, but getting more people on board with these, these new thoughts about how to go about doing what we've done for years. Trevor, you want to speak? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, man, your points are well taken and everything old is new. Um, trans, where we had fire conditions and we read the building and we felt the need to either flank it or hit it from the exterior briefly and then make an interior attack. Um, some of these things kind of get repackaged. I think the data that we have coming out of the studies now, especially the ones raised directly involved in, are yielding us some really good information. There's some of these things we've known for a long time, but I'll, I'll throw this question out to the two of you. As fire service instructors, sometimes I feel we do a little bit of a disservice for the new members that we're training because we give them the canned information um, at a lot of the state fire schools, at a lot of the um, you know, established academies, and we, we don't have them really understand fire behavior. And when I talk to my folks on a regular basis, how much of a block of instruction did you receive on fire behavior? And they're like, oh, well, we talked about it maybe two hours, three hours, and they've never become that student of the game past that. So 
just to recap, and you all have been in varying amounts of time, but you go in, the instructor draws a triangle on the board, tells you about the fire triangle, then they draw a tetrahedron, and you're like, oh, that's a cool shape, and you learn about the uh, uh, chemical chain reaction and the uninhibited ch chemical chain reaction between all the different parts, and if you take one away, the fire goes out. Great fire behavior lab that does not react like a typical structure that we're going to enter into. And that's for the safety of the firefighters. And that's what we have to understand is we give the firefighters this false sense of security that they are the structural firefighters when in fact, I, I don't know about your first due. Well, I actually do know about your first due, but um, you know, I know in my first due, I don't have very many concrete buildings with steel windows and doors with uh, spaces underneath for hose lines to go. And then when I say, all right, ventilation needs to be a coordinated effort between the engine company and truck company, that the only thing you need to do is put your hook on a steel panel and swing the hinge open. So I really think that when we do that, for the safety of the firefighter, what do conditions do inside of that burn building or that fire ventilation, always. And the materials that we're using on the inside, again, for firefighter safety, uh, Excelsior or you know, the pallets and straw, but more so the Excelsior is designed that it flares up and then it goes back down really quickly. So again, we're kind of teaching our firefighters right off the bat that ventilation is this easy thing that you can coordinate. Well, for those who have who've taken windows or had to cut holes, you know it takes time. There's different elements that you have to move out of the way. You have to make that hole large enough. At the fire academy, we have a, a fixed size roof ventilation hatch and we have fixed size windows. So even with that, are we teaching the firefighters to vent on the appropriate side of the building because of the wind and what we have going on and to look look tactically as far as how that fire could potentially spread throughout the building? We burns in the back room and, and the uh, academy policy is we can't burn that room anymore. We have to move to the front room. Will we ventilate that room differently? Are there different tactical considerations based on where that room is located in that structure? So I think we've, we fail sometimes as instructors generally in the fire service to really connect those dots versus pushing some of these people through and checking the box on the uh, skill sheet. So you know, from that perspective, I really think that there needs to be more of an emphasis. I know there's a finite amount of hours, but on learning fire behavior. And, and Bobby did some uh, really interesting work uh, when the legacy burned as far as you know, how things are burning, how they used to burn, how they burn now, and some of the similarities and differences. So I really think that uh, you know, becoming more of a student of the game from a fire behavior standpoint and understanding how ventilation works. We, we understand if you make openings, you have to commit. And I'll ask Bobby to chime in on this, is once, once we've made that opening, we do have a window of opportunity, pun intended, I guess, but we have that window extinguished. That, that's our job to do that before things become untenable. So again, making sure that our students understand and go around me and things always get better 110% of the time. That's not the case in the real world where we're going to have to make educated decisions on you know, how, when, and where to accomplish uh, horizontal, vert horizontal and vertical ventilation. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry, but Trevor's feed's a little bit messed up down there. Um, but yeah, no, I hear you, Trevor. Um, one of the things I think is um, – the 18 burns that he did a few years back in the ventilation impact studies that was specifically about the ventilation and not really about the fire attack. Uh, it showed a consistently a hundred 
seconds in the smaller house, which I think was 900 square feet. I can't remember off the top of my head. And the other was double that size. Uh, the two-story house was 200 seconds. So it's certainly not um, out of the realm. A, a good engine company should easily make it from a one, in a one-story house back to the, the room of origin or the two rooms of origin in less than 100 seconds. Uh, and 200 seconds on a two-story house is also realistic. So one of the things we kind of vetted from that without the stream studies yet was that we said, oh, well, you know, that means that interior firefighting is not gone. Um, you know, I, all of us are very much fans of interior firefighting because I really do believe, and I think all of us believe, that uh, holding the fire to where it is is going to save the most victims and save the most property all the time. And uh, we sometimes get hung up in our firefighter safety so much that we tend to forget about that. But for us, that's very, very important to us. And, and it showed that, yes, you can get in there. Now, it means you can't camp at the end of hallways. You can't have tangled up hose lines. You can't have poor hose handling skills, uh, things like that. You can't open up before the line's ready. I mean, I think we did, you know, kind of find all that. So if you fast forward to today, uh, we're just kind of digesting all of that. And there's new stream studies going out now. So now we're talking about things like stream shape, stream size, stream velocity, uh, GPMs versus reach. There's a whole lot of really, really good stuff going on that corresponds with the ventilation. So the difficulty with us being uh, we've all been state instructors is that I always look at state fire academies or larger fire academies kind of like a huge ship that it's going in a particular direction and it takes a very long time to kind of change the direction of that ship uh, for a lot of good reasons because they can't just change on a dime all the time because then the students will be getting something different all the time and that's not doing a service to students in that particular state or college or wherever it is. Smaller companies like us, we're like a smaller boat, but we can also travel in the wrong direction in the storm and get swamped. So we almost can react too quickly to this information and kind of get cut to the chase, I guess you could call it. And sometimes we can make bad decisions too. So it's kind of like a smaller companies that are out privately teaching need to understand that we need to really wait for more information to come out to make really strong statements one way or the other. And larger fire academies in this country need to be more reactive to those changes when it's, it's when it's, the, it's conclusive data that something that we're doing isn't the best way to do it. The state fire academies need to be moved, removed, move quicker than we are. And we need to move a little slower than we do sometimes because as private companies, we kind of run around the country and change things very, very quickly. And um, that's not always the best thing for the firefighters. So what I'm thinking about what you're saying, Trevor, is that um, the jury's still out on a lot of this stuff. You know, what is it? What What is really going on in these buildings on fire? I've studied fire science my whole life. And these studies bring out stuff that I never thought about or never thought was a thing. You know, when I first started teaching, we were taking all the windows out of a place right away. It didn't matter whether it was a hose line ready or not ready or anything like that. We just felt it was better and it lifted the smoke. And heck, we even called it uh, venting for venting for life, if you guys remember that. Where we said, oh, we vent for life. And what that meant was we took out every window in the place. Well, there wasn't a hose line in place and there's more than one victim. We weren't really helping in those situations. And we've all seen the videos and things, of these things going wrong and flashing over. So my feeling is I'm very impatient like everyone else is, but we also have to be patient enough to wait for these stream studies to kind of be extrapolated out. And um, 
And then, then we could take that and couple that with the ventilation impact studies that Trevor's talking about and kind of put those guys together. Uh, and then we start doing that. Then we start doing rescue profiles and primary search and vertical ventilation and all those other things. But um, I'm frustrated that it doesn't come out quicker, but it's probably better that way because we can kind of digest up one at a time. So what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I know. I would definitely agree that, you know, the, there's a lot of uh, research that still needs to, to come out. Um, like, like you said, it, it's a lot of information that comes out at one time. And the one that the, the one that we were supposed to talk with Ray about today, that document's 400 to 500 pages long. Um, so in order to, to try and digest all of that, it's going to take some time. Um, I think the important thing for um, like training officers in their departments and that kind of stuff and looking at this kind of stuff is realizing, and this is, this is stuff that, that hopefully everybody already knows and is already practicing, but you get through your fire one, you get through your fire two, your basic classes, and you get into your department, you get riding, you start getting experience. And then that's when you start to figure out the stuff that you know and the stuff that you should probably brush up on. Um, and that's, you know, your training officer can make that transition from, hey, this is stuff that we learned in Fire One and how do we make that um, more applicable and how do we make that more relevant and how do we polish those skills to take you from that entry level member to someone that we can trust you know, being our third in the back, if, if we're running at staffing, a, a minimum staffing of three. Um, so I've always I've always looked at it as we're going to get you what you need to know. And then we're going to help develop you more once we get you, you know, our company level training, um, our shift based training, that kind of stuff and get you get you to where we need you then and, and through that. But it's it's truly interesting to read through some of this stuff. Um, and see what UL is coming out with. And like you guys have said, the changes that we need to look at and um, the progressions and stuff that we need to make and, and taking our time and, and really seeing what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to go about it uh, in order to to provide the, mo the best chances for the people that are in the building and to make our jobs more efficient, more effective, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So... I got you. Yeah. And I, there, I think sometimes we talk about the unknowns. Um, obviously we're going through an unknown right now that everyone's kind of been amped up about. Um, but we talk a lot about the unknowns. And, and when I say that we're waiting for this, there's one thing that strike the box training is all about is that there are things right now you can do. And that is improve your hose handling skills. So you have that line ready in 30 seconds, improve your putting on your mask skills so that you have that mask ready. Uh, be able to put your gear on in less than a minute. Um, those types of things. All of that stuff, there is nothing out there that says that that stuff is not critically important. If, you, if your department is taking a minute and a half and two minutes to get a, a line in service, then you have a lot of room for improvement. Um, if your members are taking two or three minutes to mask up at the front door and put their gloves on, then you are tremendously behind the eight ball, especially if the door's open. We already know that that's a problem if the door's open, okay? So there are lots of things that all of our fire departments can be doing right now. We know that we're low on staffing. So anything you can do with your city leaders, uh, volunteer recruitment and retention efforts, whatever it is, we know that we need more staffing on fire grounds. Don't wait for these studies for that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that can make a, an immediate impact 
on the fire ground. If that, if, if someone's doing a baseball swing on a door, we lost Trevor there for a minute. Yeah. If someone's doing a baseball swing on a door and they get that door open, you have that line ready with water flowing and you can make the deceit of the fire in 30 seconds to 60 seconds, then everything works. Mm-hmm. And we all know that from all of our years in the fire service, this is nothing new to us about an efficient engine company and an efficient truck company saves more lives and saves more property. So there, there's a lot of things that we can be doing while we're waiting for the rest of this information. So that way, when it does change, it's not such a huge change to us. You know, it's mm-hmm. about, it, 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 so that's, I think that's what the take home for me in all of this is um, that we really need to look at how efficient we are as an engine company. Uh, you know, Trevor worked with me for many, many years up here in Ocean City, and uh, we certainly had our staffing challenges just like most of the country does. And uh, Trevor had the saying that I always love, we got to be really, really good one-line fire department. And I think we all could take heed to that, that that first line doesn't go well, that that first five, that that first five minutes in command and control doesn't go well, that that first five minutes in truck company stuff doesn't go well. We all know where that fire goes. Mm-hmm. It goes in very bad places. So there's so much stuff for us to work on in the country to make the fire service better uh, through training and practice and things like that, that um, it gives us time to work on those particular skills. And you know what? We'll all vet through this stuff and the Ray McCormick's and Dennis Laguerre's in this country will all run through this stuff and talk about, you know, velocity of streams and that kinds of those crazy scientific things. But at least we're better in those things that we can certainly fix today. Yep. I would agree. Hey, so we're at, we're at like 25 minutes right now. Um, why don't we go around one more time, uh, just for some last comments and then, uh, we'll wrap this up, uh, before, um, before we go too long here. So chief, uh, what, any final comments from you? And, uh, Absolutely. Everything that you and Bobby have said, of course, we have some very spirited conversations. We agree with each other. We have some really good platforms that we develop. Um, and I want to be very fair to like the state fire academies and some of those. They have to have a skeleton program that they can teach in all areas of their state. So whether you're in a municipal area, a metropolitan area, or way out in a rural area, they have to give you a core program. And to your point, Ben, the company level officers are supposed to take and build upon that. But we all don't have those available resources to us to fill in those gaps. Um, as, as a chief officer, I would love to think that I would have a term that I can plug and play. And that's just simply not the, uh, not the reality of how the programs are structured. So to Bobby's point, we have to get out there. We have to train our people. As we start to lose people in the fire service, uh, we're losing a lot of good information. We're losing a lot of good experience. So just such as the thing of, about doing a survivability profile, I would never want to think that we have a explicit policy that every single fire we go on, we use the exact same tactic because it's convenient for us. Our people need to understand fire behavior. And they do a good 360 and do a survivability profile to determine whether they're going to let the firefighters off leash to go in and do the job or they need to pull back because there's not any chance of building that building and we're going to weigh the risk and the benefit at that point. So, uh, you know, again, to, to the point that you and Bobby have been making, be as efficient as you can possibly be. And it doesn't matter if you run 20,000 calls a year or 20 calls a year. 
there's ways to become more efficient as a firefighter. I know through some of our training programs, like the SCBA boot camp, where we encourage people to um, check their SCBA and do things with their fire gloves on, so they they gain that dexterity and they become better and better uh, at parts and pieces, pulling that line. If you can do it in 58 seconds, your next goal should be 45 seconds. Keep scaling it back until, like we say, you don't practice until you get it right. You keep doing it until you can't get it wrong. And that's the uh, attitude and mindset that I think every firefighter should take. Great. Thanks, Chief. Bobby? Um, no, I, mean, I think I pretty much covered what we wanted to talk about today. I think that uh, the Chief Trevor certainly outran his bandwidth with his talking. So we'll have to work on that bigger bandwidth for him. <laughs> uh, no, uh, thanks to everybody for, for having us. And is there any questions on the YouTube for us, Ben? No, I haven't seen any questions pop up. Um, okay. So I'll wrap this up. Um, I'll, we're going to end the broadcast, but if you guys could hang out just a little bit afterwards um, and we'll figure out our logistics for the next, for where we go from here. So uh, just as a, as a recap, thank you again. Uh, Strike the box training. Um, we, we are going to, uh, postpone our original talk, uh, with Ray McCormack, uh, about the UL fire study that came out, uh, with the coordinated ventilation and fire suppression attack. So, uh, check our website, which is down across the bottom now, also on our Facebook page, uh, both will have links to the live stream that we're going to do tomorrow. Um, and then, uh, like I said, we'll update the dates or the time. Uh, so just keep watching on that. And um, feel free to reach out with us with questions. Um, we, we monitor our Facebook and our website pretty frequently. Um, and like I said, if you guys have questions, you're interested in training, definitely reach out to us. Um, I hope you guys would can tell from uh, talking with Chief Steedman and Lieutenant McGee. Uh, very excited, very interested uh, in training and getting out there trying to to pass the, the trade and the craft on to the next generation. So uh, with that, thank you um, for anybody that's watching or will watch uh, and just keep up with us. Uh, like I said, we're, we're here to help and um, that's it. Thank you.